Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Godley. This is All Ball. Um, we have a great pod for you. In this version, a little different, okay? The biggest name in sports memorabilia in the United States, maybe the world, is going to join me, and we're going to talk about his what what he believes is the most valuable collection, not, not an individual piece, in the history of sports memorabilia. What is it, and why does it relate to all ball? Every uniform... Game used authenticated uniform from at least one game with the dream team in 92. It's pretty cool, right? And of course, what's interesting about the dream team in 92, and I want to share with you kind of a little personal perspective I have on it because I played in Russia. And when I played in Russia, I played for, um, you know, my, the head coach, was Sergei Belov, who was actually the best player on the 72 Russian Olympic team that stole the gold medal from us, right? And uh, the assistant coach was uh, Valdis Komiches, who was on the 88 Russian team, albeit made up of uh, like Arvita Sabonis and Komiches were Lithuanians at the time, Lithuania part of the Soviet Union. And uh, those two games teams experiences are what led us to sending our NBA players, which became the dream team, which dramatically changed the Olympics. And I don't think it changed it actually for the better. I think the globalization of the NBA uh, happened at that very moment. And both magic and not, not just Michael Jordan, but having magic Johnson, Larry bird who had saved the league, be a part of it was gigantic. But I would also point out that, you know, um, I didn't mind us sending our amateurs. <laughs> you know, I didn't like it's now to the point where if they lose, it's a bigger story. And I like the idea of sending, you know, maybe put capping it at, at 25 years old. Like, is it really that important that we always win where we might get behind a team of younger players and it might help grow the game domestically? I don't know what the answer to it is, but those games were not competitive and the world has maybe not caught up completely, but it's pretty obvious if you watch the NBA playoffs, especially centers, you know, but you watch the NBA playoffs and you start to understand how many players are born internationally. I mean, obviously the, maybe the, the untold story is Canadian basketball and how that is exploded watching Jamal Murray going back to last night. I mean, he's, uh, he's just the tip of the iceberg. Obviously, last year was Andrew Wiggins. You name it. Canadian basketball is is very much a part of the NBA. But the international game uh, has caught very close to catching up. Um, 
our just depth of athletic talent and skill continues to carry us. But, you know, if we didn't have Kevin Durant last time, we probably don't win the gold medal, you know, and either the last two times or Kobe Bryant or LeBron James and the redeem team. Um, but it, it's interesting that, you know, so many people talk about the 92 Olympic team and they fail to talk about what led us to that place, right? Where we lost to the Russians. And frankly, that the problem was and the late great John Thompson was the coach was USA basketball and still a little bit this way was seen as very political in taking, you know, Georgetown guys, and Duke guys, and whoever coaches were involved in USA basketball, that's who would play on the Olympic team. And then you'd have a couple of the best players uh, in college basketball. And it was also a flawed roster, one that was built more for American basketball than for international basketball. So I think there's a lot of interesting points that aren't made about how the flaws of the 88 Olympic team really led us to 92. And 92 became a huge win for the game globally. But it also kind of surrendered to the fact that our younger players can't compete, which I actually think they can. Now, many of them now obviously are in the pros at a younger age than they were back then. But there's no reason that we can't build a national team, which we've done, of younger players and be willing to, hey, maybe lose a game in the in the effort of competitiveness. Although if you watch the last Olympic Games, several of those games were, in fact, competitive. So anyway, we'll talk about that with the Dream Team uh, uniforms that are up for auction now and are, are available at Golden Auctions upcoming. But let, let's let's quickly get into the a couple of NBA draft things. We have to take a breath on the hype train with Victor Webb and Yama. I'm not sure. Maybe I will on the email or the text chain. But we've gotten to this place where Adrian Wojnarowski, who, and I'm sure plenty of basketball people listen to this, should run back to Woj and say, well, Gottlieb, no. Like, look, I actually like and respect Woj. We got a, we got a good friendship and line of communication, but m- the most, <laughs> the highest rated prospect in the history of sports? Like, w- what, are, what are exactly what are we doing here? You know? I mean, look, if we're honest with ourselves, Luca a couple years ago was the best player in Europe, you know, and he wasn't 19 years old. He had won a Europe. He had won a European championship, you know, with his country and a Euro league championship with his professional team. So whether or not he was the physical freak of Wembenyama, he is not. The fact is, as a basketball player and an internationally high prospect, international basketball, I think, would have said, well, I mean, he's more highly touted, more high, you know, he's accomplished more, and he's already considered, rightfully so, one of the best players in the NBA. Then you go to, I mean, uh, in terms of domestic hype, I mean, didn't we just have Zion Williamson, who had three million YouTube followers when he was in high school. And I'll, I'll grant you, he's not, again, he's not seven foot five, but he's also kind of a physical freak. And people were fascinated by him. And of course, he played at Duke. And I've said this before, he made Duke, any other Duke hate, traditional Duke haters out there, he made Duke likable. Play with a smile on his face, amazing kid. Now, he hasn't lived up to it because of the injuries and the weight, but we're just talking about prospects coming in. 
Ben Simmons was as highly touted and rated a prospect as we have seen. And then, of course, LeBron James. My first draft I did on ESPN Radio was in 2003, and everyone knew who LeBron James was. That was back when Sports Illustrated still mattered. The cover still mattered. He was in the cover in high school. You know, he he changed everything, and he was ready to play, and he was far and away the number one prospect. And that was a loaded draft, as we all have come to know. So I just, just it, it's it's okay to say, hey, look, he has the potential to accomplish just about anything because he has so many things that we got to check off. We don't know what he looks, what it looks like in American style basketball. We don't know what it looks like when he puts on 25 pounds. We don't know what it looks like in the NBA playing against grown men. And while we can project, like, look, projection of he's got a chance to be a great player, but there's been a lot of great players and great talents that have come in the NBA and have had good careers, made a lot of money and not been first ballot hall of famers that we expect them to win multiple titles. Like let's just slow down a bit and say, wow, the Spurs are the luckiest, most fortunate um, franchise in the NBA and that they've done this three times, the tanking thing. And it got him David Robinson, Tim Duncan, and now it gets him Victor Webinyama. It's amazing. Amazing. In regards to the NBA playoffs, I, I just, I guess by not being able to figure out the Celtics helps me figure out the Celtics. They're just a team that goes through times in which they just kind of play basketball and don't seem to have a ton of focus and don't know who they are. And then there are times in which they look like the best team in the league. Meanwhile, the Heat, people are looking for a comp with Jimmy Butler, and I think the comp's really easy. That's Dwayne Wade. right? Dwayne Wade, not a great shooter, but he would make big shots. Kind of only went right, but he couldn't stop him from going right. No real position. Um, maybe not game in, game out, the greatest defender in the world, but incredibly competitive in the biggest of moments and incredibly tough. Uh, I, I think I think Jimmy Butler's Dwayne Wade. You know, Dwayne Wade had the one year he led the league in scoring, but outside of that, he was a 22, 23-a-night guy. That's the same as Jimmy Butler, not some sort of guy who can carry the whole season scoring-wise. But when push comes to shove, <laughs> there might not be anybody who gets more out of who he is than Jimmy Butler in, in these in these matchups. Uh, I'll get to my thoughts on Lakers and Nuggets in the next pod, which will drop very, very soon. But in the meantime, what if I told you that the most valuable and prized collection in the history of sports is available? for you to bid on. With that, let's get to our conversation. Ken, obviously, you know, the sports memorabilia is, is what you do now. Um, when did it start? When did your passion for uh, sports specifically and sports memorabilia begin? God, so um, I grew up in South Jersey, uh, outside of Philly, and I was always, always a baseball fan. I mean, the earliest the earliest memory I probably have of something going on in baseball, maybe when I was six years old, uh, when Steve Carlton was traded to the Phillies and had that unbelievable season in 1972 when the Phillies were absolutely horrible. Otherwise, that's probably my earliest retained sports memory. Um, but, you know, I've, I've always been a big sports fan. I've always been, you know, pretty much baseball first, basketball second, uh, then football, hockey. But as far as um, collecting, I started collecting as a kid, probably like an eight-year-old kid buying, you know, or not not me buying, but having 
you know, my dad buy packs of baseball cards and open them up. But I made my first business transaction when I was uh, 12 years old with a friend of mine. Um, okay. So tell me about the transaction. Sure. So I had, we were at my house and in my basement, I had this electric uh, race car set, you know, with tracks and, you know, the fancy little cars they used to have back in the uh, late 1970s. And <clears throat> he really wanted it. And somehow we agreed to trade his baseball card collection for my electric race car set. And he had thousands of baseball cards. So, you know, he packed up my cars. I went to his house and we packed up his uh, cards and uh, we traded cars for cards. And you know, I'm, that started me out in business. I, I guess I got the better of the deal. There were no price guides back then. There were no cell phones. There was no internet. You know, there's no way to tell, um, you know, what the stuff was worth. Um, but I figured it was, it was getting a good deal. And then about a year later, I sorted them all out. And about a year later, I was at a flea market with my dad on a Sunday. And, you know, this guy looking like, you know, lately, you know, you know, 19, 20, 21, something like that, went, went to the dealer, you know, who had some cards and said, hey, do you buy? And he goes, yeah. He goes, can I bring stuff over for you to look at? And he goes, no, it's my busy day. Can you go back during the week? And the guy said, you know, I won't, I, I won't be around during the week. I'm you know, reporting to the Army. Um, so I told my dad to follow him. We followed him. And in my little squeaky 13-year-old voice, I asked the guy, um, can I see your cards? And he took us over to his uh, car, opened up the trunk, and he had these six giant hefty bags full of cards. And I said, what do you want? He said, 100 bucks." So I look at my dad and said, pay him. My dad did not have $100 in his wallet. He had $70 in cash. I took the cash out of my dad's hand, <clears throat> handed it to the guy, and said, will you take 70 he took 70. We uh, backed my dad's car up back to it, loaded the cards into the trunk, and I proceeded to disappear in my parents' basement for the next three months, sorting out every single thing I had. And then I said, okay, fine. I've got all the good stuff. I separated what I did not want to keep and said, now what do I do? So I figured out back in you know, 1970, 1978, you know, 79, how to try and sell these cards and how to find out what they are worth. And that's what got me started. And how'd you do that? Cause, cause I'll, I'll give you my, my brief card collecting history. Um, as I, as you know, in the late eighties, there was kind of a, there was kind of a boon on them, right? right? A little run on them. That's when Beckett monthly came out, right? Which was yep. the, the guide to the, the values for the baseball cards. Uh, there's also, Garbage Pail Kids were incredibly popular, and those became barter, uh, bartered as well. So mm -hmm. I, yeah, I would, uh, I would get, I would get my Beckett. I would go to Angel Stadium. There's five dollars to be in the family section, and the family section was, you know, in the left, the, in the left field at, uh, bleacher seats, kind of in the old Anaheim Stadium. And when it used to be, you know, fully before it was kind of baseball only. And then, you know, there was like a, <clears throat> there was like a, not necessarily a fencing, but a, a way to keep you out from, you know, being, uh, uh, being down the foul line, you know, on the field level. And I'd mm -hmm. sneak around that. And, you know, before the game, you get there, batting practice, you get autographs, which would increase the, could increase the value depending upon the card or you have some other kind of autographs. And then after the game, you'd also wait for, for angels for autographs when they would come out. I actually snuck into the 
Angels dugout after a game one time. And before security could get me escorted out, Jim Abbott, who had been rookie of the year, the one arm pitcher. Yep, of course. Uh, I remember instead, him. Instead of signing my Beckett, he gave me his own photo and signed it and told the guys not to arrest me. So that, that's, that's <laughs> my history. But I also had, I had tons of baseball cards. And um, prior to this, I didn't have the knowledge of their value. And so we would come to, we had, uh, we had a deal at school where we could get La Vida Vikings bucks. And I sold my cards and I think I had like some Pete roses, you know, they weren't well kept or whatever, but I had some, a ton of baseball cards from the early eighties that I parted ways with. Okay. So it's 1979 and you separate all these cards. How'd you, how'd you figure out what the values were? So I bought a sporting news and they had these classifieds in the back of the sporting news. So, you know, there were no price guides, but there are a couple dealers. So I contacted the dealers and asked for a catalog. And then I would, I would see what they were selling stuff at and figure out, okay, my stuff it looks similar. And then I saw an advertisement back, you know, for something called the Trader Speaks, which is a publication that no longer exists and a publication called Sports Collectors Digest. So I subscribed to both of them. And then I started placing mail order ads in, in both publications to, uh, to sell cards. And I would, you know, sort them out, list them for sale, list the condition. There was no, there was no grading companies. This was 20, forget Beckett. This was probably, uh, I think PSA graded the first card in the early 90s. So this is probably 13 years before the first ever trading card was graded. You know, I just said, okay, this is VG, this is X Mint, you know, whatever the case may be. And um, I started selling mail order, set up in local shows with my dad. And, you know, we just kept buying and, uh, you know, buying and selling pretty much all through, um, all through junior high school and high school. And so where'd you go to college? I went to uh, GW and then I transferred to Drexel when I started my business. So was it the collecting business you started? Uh, yeah, I started, I started a company called Scoreboard, which actually the main business was we manufactured trading cards. And I started that uh, with my father in 1987. I remember Scoreboard trading cards, of course. That was, yep. Right, yep. right? That was, that was Scoreboard, Upper Deck. Yep. You, you remember, uh, you, do you remember the classic draft pick cards with Shaquille O'Neal and every year we yeah. have all the top draft picks? That, that I produ- that's what I produced. Well, I, I produced WWF Wrestling and we produced the NFL Pro-Line brand and whole, everything else. What was the, in the, obviously baseball cards have always been the gold standard. What was the breakdown in popularity then between WWF, NBA, NFL. I think I, I would, I just personally would be interested in it. What's the breakdown in terms of what became the hot, the hot ticket item? Wow. So in for general cards, for normal cards in the late 1980s, uh, baseball was probably 85% of the market. Uh, in the nineties, you know, when upper deck started making basketball cards and then they had Michael Jordan on their boxes. And then when Shaquille O'Neal came to the NBA, I would say that uh, it probably, you know, the NBA spiked in value a bit. So, you know, that at, at that point in, in the 90s, it was probably 60% baseball and 40% everything else. Like if you remember when 86 Fleer came out, you couldn't give 86 Fleer basketball came out. You couldn't give that stuff away. 86 Fleer baseball, people were like bribing wholesalers to get allocations 
But when 86 basketball came out, they sat on the shelves. And like two years later, you could buy a box for like $4.99 at a store called KB Toy and Hobby that, you know, is no longer around. So now are the ba- those basketball cards more valuable than the baseball cards from the 80s? Or, or Yeah, or- basketball cards are the only thing. Basketball cards are literally the only cards produced in the 1980s that pretty much have value. Baseball cards are not. Yeah, no. The Because there's the, so many of them? They, they made so many of them. Remember, there was only one brand. So 86 Fleer Basketball is very popular. And um, then you got 87. You got 88 is popular because you've got Stockton rookie. You've got uh, Pippen's rookie and, uh, you know, and uh, some other others like that. It's not Stockton, but you've got, uh, you know, Pippen and uh, Reggie Miller and uh, some other rookies. But the 86... 80, I'd say probably starting in 1982, uh, it was just so much over-proliferation of baseball cards. And then you had Tops, you had Fleer, you had Donruss making cards. So the 80s through probably 1993, 81 through 93 is really like a dead era in baseball cards where very few cards have value. You have some football cards that are value from the 80s, like Joe Montana's rookie, John Elway rookie, you know, Dan Marino rookie, cards like that. But basketball, you've got a lot of basketball cards that have value um, through the 1980s, obviously, with the key being the 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan and the 1984 star Michael Jordan rookie. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The 79 basement. Yep. What was the, what was the prize? What was the, uh, of the cards, what was the greatest one that was in there when you, when you finally went and, and, and broke them apart? When I, I would say probably there were baseball cards from the 1950s in there. So there were probably some, you know, like 1958 All-Star Mickey Mantle cards, probably a bunch of Mickey Mantle cards from the 1960s as well. Wow. Yeah. And how long did you hold on to them for? Oh, God. I sold them all too early. I, I, ended, I ended up selling my a large part of my initial collection in 1987, actually, when we started Scoreboard, because Scoreboard was public. And uh, my dad didn't think it would be good for me to have a collection, um, you know, that where since we're public, that people may say, okay, what, how is that distracting from his, uh, his business? So I sold most of my stuff. Most of those cards were gone prior to 1990, I would say. So, yeah, I really, I, I did fine. I, you know, 
put myself through school. I bought my first car. I paid off my student loans. But, um, you know, I didn't do nearly what I would have done had I held the ball. So now what's your prized possession? Now my prized possession is a game-used bat used by Babe Ruth during his 60 home run season in 1927. How did you acquire that? Uh, I actually got it, <clears throat> got it from Reggie Jackson. Uh, what had happened was that that bat was originally, you know, owned that was owned by uh, Babe Ruth. He kept it when he passed. It went to his wife Claire Ruth. And then when the Babe Ruth Museum opened in 1972, uh, she donated it to the museum. And, you know, I guess at some point during the financial crisis, 2008, nobody was going to the museum. And Reggie cut a deal with the museum that, you know, helped stay him afloat. And, um, you know, he got the bat for it. And then like eight years later, I, I bought it from Reggie. What is it worth? Uh, seven. I w- wouldn't want to speculate how high, but it, it's, it's, it's over a million. Wow. And where do you keep it? I keep it in a, in a uh, there is a secure uh, collector's vault in, in, in tax-free Delaware. And all my high-end items I, I keep there, which is under 24-hour armed guard and security and uh, you know has insurance for up to a billion dollars. And that's your like break glass in case of emergency. If everything goes bad, this is what I'm going to use. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, most of it, it's one of the, it's one of those places that um, it's one of those it, the that vault is you know kind of like the Fort Knox of the hobby. But yeah, no, I don't I don't think um, my wife you know my son's a cold. My I got a nine year old son who's really into baseball, and I'm sure that I will pass that down to him, and whatever he decides to do with it is his business. Wow. So there's no number. No, probably not. Probably not. It's not. It's not. Definitely not. Probably not. No, I mean, of course, definitely. Yeah, you know, something. If something ever crazy happens, you know, I'm, I'm sure I can use the money, use the money, and you know, get him something great from a player he actually cares about. You know, I know I don't. He's not. You know, Babe Ruth. You know, nine year old boys that they, they aren't. Um, you know, they aren't necessarily fans of Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle. Although he, although he definitely has a uh, has a historic knowledge of baseball and. You know, every time he plays travel ball, when available, he picks uniform number seven after Mickey Mantle. There you go. The Commerce Comet. Com- Commerce yep. Comet. Yep. Um, now you have, is it a Dream Team uniform of Michael Jordan? Yes. So the um, you know, first thing I want to say is, hey, um, if anybody out there is into sports, um, the, big, the big news is that, you know, we – Netflix dropped a TV show about myself, my business, my life, and my company um, at the end of April. It's called King of Collectibles, The Golden Touch. And in one of those episodes, you see, you know, you, you've, it, it's a lot of great stuff about collectibles. It's, not, it's, it's, it's mostly sports. It's not all sports. We have comics. We have um, entertainment. I know there's Britney Spears. There's Madonna. There's presidential stuff. But... And then, you know, we've got guests, which include, you know, Logan Paul, who's doing Pokemon, Peyton Manning, um, Joe Montana, Mike Tyson, Ric Flair. And in one of those episodes, I fly out to Salt Lake City to meet Carl Malone. And it turns out that after the, in the medal round, <clears throat> after the, uh, 
gold medal game. Carl and his wife went around to all 11 other players and collected their uniforms. So I fly up to Salt Lake, Salt Lake City, Utah, um, and all of the, all of this, all, all of this as it's happening <clears throat> was recorded live on, on the uh, King of Collectibles Netflix series. Sure. So I meet Carl, and he takes us to this hallway in his auto dealership in middle of Utah, and it's a pri- it's a private area, and all along the wall he has these massive display cases filled with an actual jersey and the actual sneakers worn by every member of the 1992 Dream Team. You know, Jordan, Bird, Magic, Barkley, and all the rest. And they're actual sneakers that everybody personalized it to Carl. And it turns out that these are the only known existing actual game-used jerseys of every member of the 92 Dream Team. And, and look, there. and let me explain what I mean by that. There's something that we do in the business that's called photo matching, okay, where you, you, know, you pay a third-party authenticator to forensically go into basically the videos of the basketball games during the, during the Olympics and pinpoint exactly what day and what game these jerseys were worn. <clears throat> and it turns out they were all worn in the semifinal match against Lithuania, all 12 of them. And – it's 1992. Memorabilia isn't worth the, you know, the, isn't the billion dollar business it is now. And, you know, Carl and his wife just asked for them and they all gave it to him. Um, so we have, you know, to me, if I'm, if I can only, only own one Michael Jordan Jersey, it would be his dream team Jersey because you think about all the bull stuff, you know, yeah, he won six championships, but there's amazing Michael Jordan moments from all six of those championships. And he played over 30 games in the NBA finals. You think about the dream team. To me, the 92 dream team is the single most important sports team, not basketball team, single most important sports team in in the history of modern sports because it brought basketball to the world. You know, back in 92, you would not have some foreign, you know, a foreign player being projected drafting, drafted number one overall in the NBA. It just wasn't happening. So it opened the entire world's eyes to basketball and it drove all these countries to build big programs so they can be like Jordan. They can be like magic. They can be like Barkley and Malone and, and Pippen and all the rest of them. So to me, you know, and, and that Jersey and all 24 items, 12 jerseys and 12 basket, 12 jerseys and 12 game you sneakers are all live right now um, at golden auctions at, at golden.com for bidding in the dream team auction. And we literally bill it. Uh, 1992 Dream Team auction, as seen on Netflix, and it's just—it's—it's—it's it's, to me, it's the most historic collection that we've ever handled. Now, you sell them individually, or do you sell them collectively? <clears throat> well, we, we're selling them individually, and here's the reason: is that you know my job as an auctioneer is to get the highest possible price for my consigner. So, if you take all 12 Dream Team jerseys and all 12 Dream Team game you sneakers and sell them as one lot. It is a really expensive lot. You know, it's probably going to be an eight-figure lot, ten million plus, right? Um, and what that does is it really eliminates, it narrows down to literally maybe three or four potential bidders or, or a handful of potential bidders. Meanwhile, there may be <clears throat> somebody out there who is willing to dramatically overpay for Clyde Drexler's stuff or John Stockton's stuff or Scottie Pippen's stuff, and that they would 
pay significantly more than the guy buying the entire package where in his mind, you know, I'm getting Jordan Magic Bird. I'm really not even assigning a value to anybody else. So the way to get it into the most hands and the way to get the highest price for my consigner is to sell all 24 individually. Now, if there is somebody who wants to keep the collection together, all they have to do is bid and win on all 24 lots. <laughs> Will the Christian Leitner thing jersey sell for a oh, Of course it's going to sell. They all, they no, all have I, a I just, It's actually an interesting one because, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's like one of those, because he's kind of an afterthought, despite the fact that, you know, in modern college basketball, he's the, he has arguably the greatest career in the history of modern college basketball. Yep, um, but because he's kind of an afterthought, I, I just didn't know if the value, that value might actually spike. It's because of its dream, his dream team stuff. Look, I, I don't think that any traditional NBA game worn uh, jersey of Christian Leitner would probably go for over five grand. But because this is a dream team and it's the only one, it wouldn't shock me if um, it went for 100000 Let me explain to everybody where I say only one because they may search the internet and say, oh, there's been three other people that have sold a Christian Leitner jersey. There have been three other people who have sold a Michael Jordan Dream Team jersey. They are not authenticated and photo matched, which means that somebody could they could be sold, but those jerseys were never actually matched to a game. So they could be worn in practice. They could be worn as a backup. They could never, honestly, you know, they're, they're ne- Michael Jordan could never have laid his hand on that jersey and somebody was selling it, you know, as, you know, as a replica. So, you know, a replica as a game worn. So right. these are the only authenticated. Then you look at the provenance. Every one of these was personally given to Carl Malone. Every one of these has a little note to Carl, like Michael Jordan, like uh, I think uh, Ewing wrote a nice long note, been amazing playing with you, blah, blah, blah. Michael Jordan. You know, and Carl's relationship, if you didn't know, has always been kind of uh, kind of cold. So Michael just wrote to Carl, good luck, Michael Jordan. And, and that's what he wrote. Um, you know, I asked where, where, Carl is it, where, good- where, where Now, is that on the jersey? That's written. Every jer- every single jersey is in- personally inscribed to Carl Malone. So you know that these are the real thing. They came directly from Carl. The players were giving them to Carl to keep. And, and Carl, you know, every jersey – is personally hand signed to Carl. Okay, so I guess, and now this is not. I mean, and this is why is Carl selling them? Carl is selling them because Carl is selling his collection. You know, later in the year we're going to have other stuff coming up for sale by Carl, including his game worn equipment and his um, you know NBA Finals. But you know, let's face it. You know, when Carl was given it, you know, he didn't really think about his money. But right now. You know this. This sets his family up for life. When does the when do these items close? May twenty fourth, Wednesday, May twenty fourth at nine p.m. What is your white whale? Oh God, for me it would be something real that I can absolutely verify as real. That was uh, you know worn you know worn by Babe Ruth, like a Babe Ruth jersey. Yeah, you know, I've got the bat. I've got the bat. I'd like to get the jersey to go along with it. Um, if, and when I find it, it will be really, really expensive. Um, so I don't know if I'll buy it. Um, the other one is that I happen to have a complete T206 set minus the famous Honus Wagner card. So I have every card in the set and that's the famous tobacco card that was pulled from production and, you know, 
we've sold one as high as 7.25 million. Um, I would not pay, you know, I, I, I was unli- unlikely I would buy one in a condition good enough to sell for 7.25 million. But if there's ever one available, um, you know, maybe after we go public and you know, I sell stock, <laughs> I, I would go out and buy one. But uh, today I'm not going to do that. The Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck card, what's that worth today? That was the card that changed the business. Uh, and a PSA 10 of that card you know, is in the couple thousand dollar range. But um, what, why did it change know, the business? Because it was, it was the first year that somebody came out that that's considered the introduction of the modern card. It's considered the introduction of the modern trading card when Upper Deck used high-tech photos on front, high-tech photos on back, and a, uh, a counterfeit-proof hologram that, you know, and tam- tamper-proof so that people knew that it was a real card. They changed the business, and that launched the modern card era, where people, instead of making, you know, not quite so desirable cards on cardboard, used higher quality paper, higher quality stock, you know, glossy finish, and really stepped up their game. Do any of the modern players, like, does, Le- does there anything of LeBron's that will touch the value of Jordan's? Yeah. I mean, you know, first of all, interestingly, LeBron's trading cards are worth more than, you know, LeBron's rookie cards are worth significantly more than Michael Jordan's rookie cards. And the reason for that is that Jordan's was in the junk wax era where 86 clear was dramatically overproduced. And there's a lot of them. And uh, LeBron had cards like 2003 Upper Deck Exquisite that um, were limited to 99. Some of them limited to 23 others. You know, we've sold, we've sold LeBron James cards for a couple million dollars. Now, there are Michael Jordan cards that can go over $2 million, but those traditionally are not his rookie cards. Those are um, late 1990s uh, rare insert cards. You know that are you know either limited to ten or autographed and limited to twenty three. Um, in terms of jerseys, I mean, yeah, I think the jersey LeBron wore um, while breaking Kareem's record for the all time sp- uh, points leader. You know, I think that you know that's going to be a that's a several million dollar jersey. The jersey that LeBron wore for his first ever game in two thousand three with the Cleveland Cavaliers that's a multi million dollar jersey as well. So you know, the three guys, interestingly, in basketball. Um, the, the best of the best item from LeBron James, the best of the best item from Michael Jordan and the best of the best item from for Kobe Bryant will sell for significantly more than all time legends such as Kareem, Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell. I mean, you take the best Michael Jordan item, it will probably sell for triple what the best Will Chamberlain item will sell for, even though. You know, Will Chamberlain items are far, far more rare. And, you know, Wilt is, you know, probably, you know, Wilt and Bill Russell, you know, they were the standards because basketball is a little different. Basketball is more international. Baseball, you would, it would be unthinkable to say a Mike Trout item would sell for even 10% of a Mickey Mantle or even 10% of a Babe Ruth. Uh, but baseball has and still really is an American sport. Basketball is a worldwide sport. It really didn't start. It didn't start to go international until you know the Magic Johnson era went more international with the Michael Jordan era. But really, Kobe was like the first gigantic main star in Asia, and that's why 
you know, prices like Jordan, LeBron, and Kobe are elevated above those of Kareem, Russell, and Chamberlain. That is absolutely yep. fascinating. Well, listen, listen, I know you got work to do. You've been more than gracious with your time. Uh, how can somebody, if they want to, they want to bid on these items? I mean, I'm, they already, I'm sure know most people in the business know, but mm-hmm. if not, how can, how can they, they, they view this stuff, bid on this stuff? Sure. So, you know, first of all, it's very simple. Go to golden.com, G-O-L-D-I-N.com. Um, or you can just type in golden auctions and you'll take us take it right to us. And, you know, we, we do have everything now at golden. You know, we have the, we have something called the golden 100, which actually is one of the items is the flu game shoes of Michael Jordan game worn. Um, oh. and we've got Kobe wait, and we've got, we've got Kobe's 2010 NBA finals game, you jerk game use jersey up for sale right now too. his last ever NBA finals uh, game worn and photo match. Um, so we've got that auction going. We've got the dream team auction going, but we also have weekly auctions going where people literally can buy something for 15, as low as $15, but go to golden.com, check it out, you know, search for what you want. You'll see all the different things au- auctioning register to bid and, you will have to, if you want to bid, you know, if you're going to want to bid on a dream team item, you're going to have to get credit approved. So there'll be instructions. Hey, I'd like to bid more than $5,000. It will tell you how to do that. And you know, to keep abreast as to what's going on in the hobby, to keep, you know, keep interested and say, hey, what's coming up? What's hot in the hobby? Uh, what are the best items that Golden has for sale? Or you want to follow like, hey, is there going to be a season two? And when will we start making it of King of Collectibles, Golden Touch? Just follow me anywhere on social media uh, at Ken Golden on Instagram is probably where I do my mo- most of my posting, but I'm on TikTok and Twitter too. I'm at Ken Golden everywhere. Ken, uh, those are incredible items. I appreciate you joining, joining me and thanks so much. Thank you, Doug. Glad to be here. Have a good one. All right. That's it for this version of All Ball. Remember to check out the Doug Gottlieb show. It's on 3 to 5 Eastern time. We also have it in the bonus podcast. Just go to the iHeartRadio app, and you can download that, and I think you'll really, really enjoy it. In the meantime, continue to tell your friends. This is the spot for all sorts of hoops, talks, and stories. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Three six five. We don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play—from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field, whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet Three Six Five. Twenty-one plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call one eight hundred Gambler. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.